Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with, turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. I'm going through a summer psalm series, and of course there's 150 psalms, so we don't have enough time to go through them all. So I'm just kind of handpicking uh, some of the psalms, and I found myself at Psalm 8, and I'm glad we're here today. And kind of piggybacking off the emphasis of witnessing, there's something about the name of Jesus. I was going to ask the, the praise and worship team to think and consider that song, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your... <laughs> but the, the verse says, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. And um, it's a psalm that you've sang, no doubt. But I'd like, to, I'd like to read this psalm and pretty much focus in on verse 1 and verse 9 about how excellent the name of the Lord is. And when I was thinking about this, have you guys ever had KFC? You, ever, you guys ever been to Kentucky Fried Chicken? Okay, it, I know that In-N-Out has a secret menu. Did you know KFC has a secret menu? You ever heard of the Double Down? What? I'm not a frequent KFC flyer. I don't have a punch card. I've been like once and I don't know. When, I don't know when the last time was. But, <laughs> just like liar. Let me see your greasy fingers. Um... But I remember the last time I did go, I saw a commercial, and they didn't have it on the menu. And I said, do you have a double down? And they said, well, yes, we do. Um, and if you don't know what the double down is, you could go to a KFC and actually request it. The double down is one chicken, fried chicken breast on top, ham, cheese in the middle, and then another chicken breast on the bottom. So... The bread, rather than a bun, this is good for you like keto, no-carb people. The bread, the bun is actually chicken. <laughs> so when you're eating this thing, the double down, it's delicious. Because it has the Colonel's secret recipe on top, on bottom, and then some sandwich stuff. And what am I saying this for? <laughs> Besides getting you hungry. Well, if you fast forward to the next slide, look at verse 9. O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name. And then go back to the first slide, verse 1. O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name. So God in Psalm 8 is double downing. You see what I'm getting at? He's bookending this thing. Normally when you build a sandwich, bread, eh, boring, meat, cheese, jalapenos, onions, awesome, and then bread. Uh, you're just holding my sandwich together, right? You're just the glove. But in this case, in the double-down scenario, meat on top, meat on bottom, and then it's kind of the other stuff in between. Now, I understand all Scripture is good, but for the emphasis of the message today, verse 1, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name. Verse 9, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name. God's double-downing on his name, right? So let's read this together, if you would. Verse 1. I can't hardly read this without singing it. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. You'll, you'll, you'll recognize this passage. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants have you ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence your enemy and avenge her. And remember last week when we were talking from Psalm 1, and we referred to Jesus referring to the Psalms. He says, all the Psalms were written concerning me. 
And here you'll recognize some thoughts uh, that you've seen in the New Testament concerning Christ. Then he mentions this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. And stop with me. God spoke that stuff into existence. Right? Either you believe in the beginning an accident happened or in the beginning God. Uh, both are a faith scenario. I just believe in the beginning God. Then he says, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you'd visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. Also a prophecy concerning Christ. You'd read about this in Hebrews chapter 2. And have crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the pass of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. So today what I'd like to talk about is the name. The name. How excellent is the name of the Lord. Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we could gather in your name because of your name. And I pray, Lord, that your name would be glorified, that we'd leave here, I guess, just a little bit more aware. I, I, Lord, you're going to do what you're going to do in the hearts of your people, but it's my prayer for me that I would leave here maybe even a little bit more awestruck, a little bit more reverent, a little bit more, I guess, um, connected to, to who you are. I know, Lord, your name's not trite, it's not insignificant, it describes your character, it describes who you are. So, Lord, help us to really just, I guess, learn about your name and who you are as a person and who you are as a father, who you are as a comforter and a counselor, uh, really who you are as revealed through your name. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to show you a quote. I'm going to show you a couple quotes today, but this one's anonymous. How illustrious is the name of Jesus throughout the world. His incarnation, his birth, humble and obscure life, preaching miracles, passion, death, resurrection, and ascension uh, are celebrated throughout the whole world. His church, the gifts and graces of his spirit, his people, his gospel, and the preachers of it whoop, whoop, are everywhere spoken of. No name. Think about this. No name is so universal, no power and influence so generally felt as those of the Savior of mankind. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how excellent is your name. I was having a discussion with my wife uh, the other night, and I said, you know, it struck me. I heard something in passing the other day, and the guy mentioned this. Who's your guru? And I've been to India uh, quite a bit. And for those of you that have heard about a guru, a guru is just a, it's just a title like a, like a pastor or a teacher or, but in the sense when the Hindus mean guru or the Buddhists for that matter, when they refer to a guru, because uh, Buddhism came out of Hinduism, when they refer to a guru, it's a spiritual leader. That's what they mean, a spiritual leader. And I thought about this, and this guy was challenging the thought in the sense where he's like, who's your guru? And I started to think about that. I'm not afraid. I know it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it doesn't seem to match to call Jesus a guru because he's, he doesn't come from Hinduism. But if you think about your spiritual leader, 
He is my guru in the sense, like who is your guru? Who's your spiritual leader? Who's the name of the person that you identify with? Who's your guru? And I started to think about this culture because everyone has a guru. Everyone has a guru. You don't believe me? Look at their podcast they listen to. They got a guru. Look at the TV shows that they watch. They got a guru. Look at how they believe and how the earth was shaped. We just read the sun, the moon, the stars, the beast, the fish, everything came from God. You know, the people that don't believe that, well, who's your guru? What's your alternative? What, what guru is telling you what about how we got here and where we're going? Who's your guru? What's his name? What's her name? What's their name? What's the name of your guru? And I started thinking about that because there's no other name I'd rather be attached to than Jesus. You want to ask me who my guru is? I'm not ashamed at all. Now, Christians, sometimes I'm ashamed of, right? <laughs> like speaking of a guru, Gandhi said, I would have been a Christian if it weren't for Christians. That's what Gandhi said, right? <laughs> speaking of gurus in passing. Um, but if it's just reduced to the guy that I'm identifying with, I am unashamed to say my guru is Jesus. No problem. What? There's no other name. Think about it. There's no other name. None. That's better than Jesus. Black eyes, dark history, things done in the name of Jesus that weren't from Jesus. I get it. I get it. But if you take all that away, all the followers, if you reduce, get rid of all the followers, all the black eyes, all the scabs, all the scars, all the bruises, all the misrepresentation, because the devil's not an atheist. You better believe he's not. He gets more mileage out of, you know, you can't beat him, join him. So he gets more mileage out of religion than anything else. Of course he's going to give Jesus a bad name because he can't beat him. So he wants to join him. But who's your guru? What's the name that you identify with? Who's the one that's given? Who's, remember last week I said, when we're talking about uh, music, because, uh, you know, I'm kind of in the music industry off to the side. Um, who's the one that's inspiring you, right? Who's the one that's inspiring you? You're getting inspiration, but who's the one that's inspiring you? Who's your guru? What's his name? What's her name? So I started thinking about that. There's no other name, really, that stood the test of time other than the name of Jesus. You know, look at that quote. No name is so universal, no power and influence so generally felt as that of the name of the Savior of mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at kind of what the Bible has to say a little bit about the name of God. Look with me in Psalm 72. Um, his name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Verse 19, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. That means I agree and it's truth. That's what amen means. Psalm 113, verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a, isn't that another one? Another? Yeah, it's another. I mean, all these songs that come from the... the the Psalms, blessed be the name of the Lord from uh, this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Look at Psalm 148. 
Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. I like, I like Acts um, uh, 10:43. To him, Jesus gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever, because he's an equal opportunity savior, whosoever believes in him will receive remission of sins and the free gift of eternal life. I like, you'll love this verse if you, if you don't already know it. I'm sure you've heard it. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Think about it. Jesus is saying, okay, most gurus and most teachers and most cult leaders and people that start religions, they're like, hey, believe in what I, believe in what I taught. Check out my writings. I gave you some rules. I gave you some philosophy. Like, good luck. Try to follow that. Most religions, right? If you study, just, just like an amateur look at that. You're like, oh, okay, this guy said that. She said that. Follow this. Do that. Jesus is saying, but believe in my name. Believe in who I am. Believe in what I've done. I died. I was buried. And I rose again from the dead on the third day. The name. The name. That, did your guru do that? I'm looking around. I'm not, don't, don't misinterpret when I speak in terms of did you or the, I know I'm not singling anyone out. I'm speaking in generalities as if I had a microphone to the world, you know, as if I'm speaking in India and Asia and Africa. What did your spiritual leader do? Does he have the name that's as powerful as the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 2, which is a quote from um, Isaiah. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those in earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's no other name, right? It's the greatest name because it's connected to the greatest person. Here's a quote. The greatest man in history named Jesus um, had no servants, yet they called him master. Had no degree, yet they called him teacher. Had no medicines, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet they, yet kings feared him. Uh, he won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, yet he lives today. His name is Jesus. Amen? Who's your guru? What's his name? What's her name? I like Isaiah. I know this is associated oftentimes uh, with Christmas, which I have no problem singing Christmas songs in the summer, right? So here's a kind of a, an often referred to as a, a Christmas verse, but Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, referring to the virgin birth of Christ, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Sorry, Atlas. <laughs> um, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Think about, think about those names. Those are basically titles which lend itself to not just an identity but an activity. He's, he's wonderful, so he'll do wonders because he's wonderful. He can, 
He could help you in your darkest times in the depths of your soul when you're depressed and discouraged and have anxiety. Why? Because his name is Counselor. He could back up what he says. He, if he says, I'm giving you eternal life, you shall never perish, neither shall anyone pluck you out of my hand. He could back that up because he's the almighty God and there's none mightier. He's the everlasting father. He, he will have no end. He's not going to leave you, right? Ever, I never thought about it in this term, but he's not a father that's here today and gone tomorrow because he's found something else or another family, right? He's not going to de desert you. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He could make peace and bring peace and give peace because he owns it. He's the prince of it. So look with me, if you would, in Matthew, also found around Christmas. But let's look at the name. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted or translated means God with us. So we have God with us, and now after the cross, we have God in us, and we have the God that wants to live his life through us, so those around us could see that his name is wonderful, that he's the mighty God. Now look at this. Moses was wondering about the name of God. Look at Exodus chapter 3. You'll remember the story. Moses stumbles upon the burning bush, and the voice came out of it, and he's having this dialogue, and God's okay with questions and dialogue. Then Moses said to God, okay, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, because God said, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and he's like, well, okay, maybe I don't, can't speak, and someone help me. I don't know if this, I'm the right guy cut out for the job. Okay, but when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, here it is, I am who I am. Either Popeye sounds like God or God sounds like Popeye. <laughs> I am what I am. <laughs> Some of you, yes, I don't know. But the statement, he goes on to say, and said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I, I am has sent you. I am? Okay. All right, just the I am. But the implication means this. God is independent. He's self-existent and independent. And he's the only one that is. You, no one in here could say, I am. No one in here could say that. Because the title, the name, implies you've always been. That's what it implies. It, it implies eternality. It implies infinitude. And, and as far as I know, every one of us had a beginning. But God had no beginning. He'll have no end. He's been at the beginning. He's already at the end. He transcends all of it because he's omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. And so the great I am implies he's self-existent. His existence depends upon none other but himself. And so when the devil says, I want to be like God, God's like, it's impossible. God created the devil. How could the devil become God? In order to be the great I am, you'd have to have no beginning. And everything besides God has had a beginning. Who's the, who, who's the name of your guru again? Who's the name of your guru again? Heard some people over there whispering. Look what Jesus said. John 8, 58. Connect this to what God said to Moses. Jesus having a discussion with the religious Pharisees, the Jews, 
And they're really ticked off because Jesus was telling them, you're not of, you're not, God's not your father. If he were your father, you would believe in me. In fact, he said in John 8, 44, you're of your father, the devil. And they got really ticked off. So they're trying to corner him. And he's having this dialogue. And they said, Abraham's our father. And he says, no, Abraham's not your father. And Jesus said unto them, most assuredly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. You realize they, they crucified Jesus, not for what he did, because they couldn't find any fault in him. They crucified him for who he said he was. You, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Crucify him, blasphemy. They got him on blasphemy. They thought, but is Jesus blasphemous or believable? Who's your guru? Right? So... Here's the thing. We know God the Father through knowing God the Son, and we know God the Son through and by God the Holy Spirit. That's how the, the triunity works, the trinity works. We know God through Jesus. We know Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So if we want to know the heart of God, we need to know the word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Now, let's talk about the Bible. The word of God is God's character in print, but Jesus is God's character in person, right? This is the written word, but this is not Jesus. The written word reveals to us the living word, okay? God inspired these words so that we could know the living word. So this is God's character in print because Jesus said everything you read here, the law the prophets, the Psalms, they're written concerning me, right? Remember he said that, Luke uh, 24, 44? Um, he said, all these things are written concerning me. So this is God's character in print. But when you see the Lord Jesus in action, when you read about it, you're seeing, okay, that's God's character in person. So when you see Jesus, you see the Father, not what the Father looks like, but who the Father is like and how he acts like. So Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. So the mysterious God in the Old Testament stepped out of heaven into earth to show us not what he looks like, but who he acts like. And in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it's not on the slides, but the Bible says he is the express image of his person. And it's interesting because when you do a Greek study, and George isn't here today, our Greek resident Greek scholar, uh, but when you do a Greek study on that particular word image in Hebrews, it's the only place in the New Testament where the Greek word character is mentioned. We didn't transliterate it. If you did, it would have been character, character. He is the express character of God. But the translators put the express image of God. And you know what the word character implies. The Greek spells it K-A-R-A-C-T-E-R. We spell it with a C-H, right? So the word character is who the person really is. So what the Bible's saying is Jesus is actually the very character of God. So when you see Jesus in action, you are seeing the character of God in action. Because no man's seen God at any time, the Bible says. But Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. The character, the character, the character of God. You ever think about first impressions? Remember that head and shoulders commercial? You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Right? Guy goes to a job interview. He's got like... Frosty the snowman just like hugged him and he's got frosted flakes all over him. He's like, I'd like to apply for the job. And they're like, 
ooh, not here. You're not going to get hired. And then they're like, the, boom, here comes head and shoulders. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Like first impressions, you ever had a bad first impression that you've tried to undo? Like, ah, now that, like it took you five minutes to give that first impression. It's going to take you like five years to undo it, right? You ever, you ever just set someone there like, well, they're just that way. Yep, that's how they are forever. First time I met them, only time I cared to know anything about them was that one time. That's who they are, right? Have you ever done that? I, I hate that because sometimes I shoot myself in the foot with first impressions. I'm like, nah, you know, just get to know me a little bit, please. <laughs> so first impressions. But I'm bringing that up because talking about the character of God, Jesus is the character of God. First impression in ministry, Jesus gets baptized voice from heaven this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased they're like oh god's well pleased in the son but the son didn't do anything all he did was got baptized okay okay first miracle was it john chapter two does anyone know what it is turns the water into wine he's at a wedding right now think with me if you've been to wedding you guys ever been you've been you guys ever been in a wedding been in a wedding Hey, Vic, Rose, you guys been in a wedding like 58 years ago? You ever been at a wedding? Just kidding. So you go to a wedding. Either you've been in one or you've attended one. Um, I have a coworker that said he went to six weddings in one summer. He's like, I was in three. One, I was the best man. The other one, I, the other three I was just at. I'm like, dude, how did you afford that? Because he's from Pennsylvania. Um, it's like I, I said, did anyone foot the bill for any of it? And he's like, no, I had to pay for all of it. Like, what? Anyways, so if you've ever been to a wedding that's out of state, there's a lot of expenses involved, right? Think about this. Traveling, you got to take time off of work, you got to make arrangements, you wear uncomfortable clothes you normally don't want to wear, right? If it's outside, it's hot, the food is suspect, right? You ever been to a wedding where the food's like just not good? Situations like that. I mean, there's just so many variables that when you go to a wedding and the wedding reception, well, here, Jesus is with uh, Mary, his mother. They're there at the wedding, and they run, they're running out of wine. Now, think about this. If you're at a wedding, you've traveled, you're like, okay, the bride and groom are all preoccupied. They're going to do their thing. At least can we have some good food, right? Can we have some good, you know? Uh, they used to come for some of that. And can you imagine if you're the host, you're the dad, you're respected in the community, and you're running out of supplies for people that have come a long ways? Here's what I want to give you a glimpse into what this miracle is about. I know people struggle with the water to wine. They're just like all hung up on the alcohol content. I'm like, get over it. Here's the big deal. That was their culture. Here's the bigger issue. The guy that was giving, that was hosting it and the families that it represented that were coming together, what God put together, let no man put asunder, it was going to be a shame on them for not having enough food and drink. Get over the wine part. Just get over it, okay? It's really, put it to rest. Here's the bigger issue. The bigger issue is that they were going to have shame on them and Jesus comes along and takes shame off them. You get it? Shame off you. Shame off of you. And so, uh, to me, that's the character of God. 
God's character is such that the woman, she's about ready to get stoned, and he says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Shame off you. So he comes, and he doesn't reinforce shame on you. He comes and says, shame off of you. And so you see, when you see Jesus doing what he does, you see, him, you see the character of God in action. Look at John 14, 7. It'll be up on the screen. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and seen him. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Again, not what God looks like, but who God is like and who God acts like. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You want to know who, who God the Father acts like? You want to know who the one way back in Genesis 1? You want to know the one before Genesis? You want to know the one after Revelation? Right here. He, Jesus, is the, is the one. His name, named Jesus, uh, Yeshua, just it means Savior. It's what he does. It's who he is. So um, 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. That's Adam. Um, the second man is, of the, is the Lord from heaven because God came and he took on skin and he dwelt amongst us so we could know who God's like. In fact, Timothy puts it really well, and there's a lot of great 316 verses in the Bible. This is one of them. 1 Timothy 316, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by the angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Pretty clear verse about who Jesus is. Who's your guru? What's his name? Right? Isaiah 44.6. I love the Isaiah 40s. You just get lost there sometime. Just spend time starting Isaiah 40 and just see how long you can go. It's a totally different book in Isaiah when you start in Isaiah 40. Trust me. Just start there. See what happens. Take me up on it. Isaiah 44. Thus says the Lord and the King of Israel. Because basically God, he's sending a prophet to Israel who is believing other gurus. They're settling for false gods and idols. And so God's, he's challenging that notion. And he says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, besides me there is no God. Isaiah 44, 8, do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from the time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock or other God. I know not one. And if you're going to say God is omniscient, means he knows everything, and he doesn't know of another God, there must not be another God. Who's your guru? Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there's no other. I am God, there's none like me. There's no other name. There's no other God. There's none. Now, the devil, might, who is a created being, an angelic being with the free will, who thought he could be God and live independent, and, you know, um, he, might, he might pitch you some some version of God, some false idea, because he's not an atheist, he believes, right? He just doesn't want you to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is no other God. God would have told you if there was. Isaiah 48, 12, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called, I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. 
And then just to kind of connect the dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament, look at what Jesus says about this whole idea about the beginning and the end. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Boom. Who's your guru? If it's Jesus, guess who you got? The beginning and the end, the Almighty. Right? So there's lesser, there's lesser spiritual leaders. David Koresh was one. Buddha was one. Uh, Krishna was one. Uh, yeah, there's lesser spiritual leaders. I doubt they've got the credentials that the name of the Lord Jesus has. Right? Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, Mary Baker Eddy, Charles Taz Russell. I mean, there's a lot of spiritual leaders out there, right? Started like uh, Muhammad started, you know, 700 years after Jesus started a world religion. Of what, 1.6 billion followers, right? Doing pretty good. Um, if just if we're thinking in pragmatic terms. Look at um, John chapter 20. So Jesus rises from the dead. We have all heard of doubting Thomas. And after eight days, his disciples were, come, were again inside, and Thomas was with them, and Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. And Thomas said, unless I see the, the scars, if unless I see the nail print in his hands and his feet, I won't believe. Right? Thomas declared that. And then Jesus shows up and said, peace be to you. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand in here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, which would have been blasphemous if it were not true. A good Jew would not call someone the great I am, God Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega. It was what he was saying. No one would dare say that if he did not believe it was true. You know what he's saying? is like, you're my leader. You're my spiritual. You're, you're, you're it. You're the first and the last. You're the Almighty God. I was a little bit tricked. I was a little bit deceived. I was a little bit kind of bamboozled. I would not condemn Thomas one bit at one moment he's saying let's go die with him and for him he was a very staunch stout believer and then Jesus said smite the shepherd the sheep will scatter Peter denied him everyone was doubting and they all went their own ways you put yourself in their like lord boards their their sandals would you have not done the same considering the the circumstances of identifying with Jesus as your spiritual leader meaning you would also die if you identified him? Would you have not done the same? Huh? I, I, I don't condemn these guys because I'm like, I probably would have done the same. In fact, when I was in Jerusalem, the place where the, the rooster crowed three times, there's a big memorial there. And it's the place where Peter, you know, standing by the fire, uh, denying Jesus, you know. Uh, and I was standing there and I wept. I did. I wept because I'm like... It's so, it was so real to me. I didn't cry at the tomb. I didn't cry at other places. And maybe it's selfish because this was about me at this moment. <laughs> but I'm like, I would have totally have done the same probably. And so I wept there. And uh, you remember 
when, when Peter did deny Jesus, all Jesus did was looked at Peter. All he did was looked at him. And he looked at him, no doubt, with the eyes of compassion and the eyes of love. And that's all that Peter needed to, to know. And he went out and he, I mean, he repented and he wept, but he's like, oh, Jesus, sorry. But there was too much pressure. It was just too much pressure for him. He couldn't, you know, the world was coming at him. It was just too much pressure. But Jesus knew it was too much pressure. That's why he had compassion on him. And he deals with them at the end of John. You, you know that. Um, but this man of Galilee, this carpenter from uh, Nazareth, uh, th- this one named Jesus is the name above all names. He is the Lord God Almighty. And what I'd like to do is close with reading to you. Um, it's, it's something someone wrote in the, in the last century, but the, it's not a poem. It's just kind of a, an article. I don't know what you would call it. But it's entitled The Incomparable Christ. The Incomparable Christ. And it goes something like this. More than 1,900 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in poverty. He was reared in obscurity. He did not travel extensively. Only once did he cross the boundary of the country in which he lived, and that was during his exile and childhood. He possessed neither wealth nor influence. His relatives were inconspicuous and had neither training nor formal education. His infancy Uh, He startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked upon the waves as if they were pavement. He hushed the seas to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his service. He never wrote a book, yet perhaps all the libraries in the world could not hold the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together could not boast of having as many students. He never marshaled an army, nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun, and yet no leader uh, ever had more volunteers who have, under his orders, made more rebels, stack arms, and surrender without a shot fired. He never practiced psychiatry, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. Once each week, multitudes congregate at worshiping assemblies to pay homage uh, and respect to him. The names of the past proud statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of past scientists and philosophers and theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man multiplies more and more. Though time has spread 1,900 years between the people of this generation and the mockers at his crucifixion, he still lives. His enemies could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. He stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by devils, as the risen personal Christ, our Lord and Savior. We are either going to be forever with him or forever without him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Lamb of God. His name is Jesus. Amen. So I'll conclude with this, where I first started. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. Verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent 
is your name in all of the earth. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, thank you for your name. Lord, I, I know, I, I hear it used as a curse word. I hear it used so flippantly. Lord, maybe I've even kind of just entertained it as people have blasphemed your name and not, not felt what that really implies. And I know you're not hurt by it, and you hurt for people because they're just lost. They're, they're, they're not saved. They know not what they do. But as Christians, Lord, help us to, to be just awestruck in the name of Jesus. You're our spiritual leader. You're the one that we identify with. And Lord, if there's someone here that's never trusted in the name of the Lord Jesus, may they put their faith alone in Christ alone, for you alone are the only one it could save. You're the only hope. Everyone else is just make-believe. They don't have the credentials. They don't have the power. They don't have the ability to do what you can do because your name means Savior. You are God, and there's none else. Lord, help us to leave here as Maddie was saying, as people that would witness and help us as we go from here to witness, not about religion or concepts or principles, but about a name. Help us to be witnessing about who you are and what you've done. I pray that for me and this church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.